0: Hello, my name is Ben. Welcome to the show. Today, we'll be taking a deep dive into Layla by Derek and the Dominoes. This is the Deconstruct Podcast. Now, I don't feel like we have to go into any further ado before we go into this track. You all know who I am. You all know what this show's about. So I guess I could just start talking about the song. This is a track that was with me for a lot of my earlier life, especially at summer camp when they would put on a classic rock station in the background and I would listen to it and they would always play this song. And this was one of the songs that I grew up with. But then as I grew up, I had forgotten about that song until somebody I knew posted something on a social network and I said, and I found it again. And I started listening to it with the ears that I have now, and it's a really in-depth song. Now, just like the last episode where I had nobody else on the show, I want you to be my guest for today. I will be posing you questions, and I'll give you a couple seconds so you can pause and ponder as to what the answer to the question might be. And then I'll give my own two cents on the matter. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different at the start, There's going to be two different versions of this track that we're going to listen to because the original one is just a little bit too dense to dive in immediately into. I want to take shallow steps into this song before we go right into the deep end. So first what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to listen to the Unplugged version off of the appropriately titled Eric Clapton album, Unplugged. Once we've fully digested that particular track, we're going to go into the original version by Derek and the Dominoes. And as a reminder, throughout the show, because copyright is a thing, I will need to give you timestamps as to places you will need to listen to in each track. So, without any further ado, let's begin with this opening section. In this opening section, from 0 minutes and 0 seconds through 0 minutes and 12 seconds... We get this first opening riff that establishes the chord changes that are going to be present throughout all of the choruses. I want you to take a few seconds to figure out what the chords are doing. If you don't know how the chords are being stacked, just listen to the bass note, the lowest note, because that's going to be the root note for all of the chords. So in total there's three chords going on here. It starts and stops on the same chord but in the middle there's two other chords that rise up to the next chord to land on the end of the statement. But here's the thing. In a lot of the conversations that we had so far, there's a lot of emphasis on tonic-dominant sort of resolutions. And this can be seen clearly from the voice leading if you have a uh, 5 going to 1, the... Root of the 5 chord wants to stay the same as it becomes the 5th of the tonic chord and the 3rd of the 5 chord wants to become the root of the 1 chord and the 5th of the 5 chord wants to become the 3 of the tonic chord. But no that doesn't happen here it's just completely different so can you notice anything Whether it be in terms of voice leading or something else that could key into the fact as why this chord change works. Well, to me, I think it's the same sort of idea, except for this time they're all moving in step. You have the root going to the root going to the root, and then the third going to the third going to the third, and the fifth going to the fifth going to the fifth. It's still strong motion between all of the voices... But in this case, it's opting for a more uniform sort of thing. But at the same time, as it rises up, it increases brightness and gets a little bit more tense. And so in this case, we want to go, our ears at least want to go from a darker place into a brighter place, especially considering that we're in minor right here. And this chord changes, accomplishes exactly that. And then once you've had the first chord change from that lowest chord, that flat 6, going from there to the flat 7 chord, it's that same distance up to the 1 chord. And so our ears expect that to happen again, just because repetition in music legitimizes, as the great YouTuber Adam Neely says. Now, I want to talk really quick about this rhythm right here. This is just something that I've noticed, and I don't think I could pose a question that could elicit an answer out of this. I think it's creating a bit of a drum beat that's setting the groove for the whole song. So you have the guitar guards going, Dun up, bun up. and that would be analogous to a kick drum, I'd think. And then he's slapping the strings uh, after the second bit of bass drum, so together it sounds, boo, boo, ka. Boo, boo, ka. And that's a pretty sick drum beat, in my opinion, even if it is being delivered by the guitar. Then as we move into 0 minutes and 12 seconds, the piano comes in in the left ear, and introduces this new melody, da-da-da-da-da-da. Once again, I don't think this is going to lead to anything really in particular. Other people might have input on this, but to me, I find it cool that this little melody resolves on the one of the chord every time it hits a downbeat so if you got and then as we move into the main meat of this opening section there's two main instruments that come in i think there might be a third but it wouldn't have been captured all that well in the space that they were in so, what instruments are coming in here? Well, to start, the piano is basically doing the exact same thing as the guitar is doing. so I didn't need to add much about that. But then there is a bit of drums going on, like actual drums, not the rhythmic things that the guitar was doing. And I the real main thing that you can tell that's happening is somewhere in the mid to right channel, there's just a some ride symbol just going ding 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 and that's all i think you really need to add in that section just to give it a bit of rhythm real quickly i want to talk about the thing that the piano does at 0 minutes and 18 seconds it's a neat little thing that the piano is doing it's a little bit jazzy as well they could have easily just played it da 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 but they instead decided to add a little bit of ornamentation in there could you tell what they're doing there They're doing the closest thing that a pianist has to being able to bend into a note. On many wind instruments and string instruments, you can start lower than a note and then bend into it to get a bit of a dirtier sound. And not by dirty, I don't mean mucky as the people in Yorkshire would say, but as in like dirty... But pianos can't do that. They only have so many notes, and they can't go between notes. So the way that they do it is they crunch two notes together, one that's just below the note that they want to go to and the one that they want to go on, and then they lift up the lower one while holding through the highest one. And then just throwing in a fourth above that just to make it a bit more, I don't know, bluesy. That's the sort of vibe they like to go for. And then basically the same things happen from 0 minutes and 18 through 0 minutes and 33 seconds. Just this time there is now a solo guitar going ham. Until we get to 0 minutes and 32 seconds where we get this da da. Now the chords implied by both of those notes both want to resolve to the tonic that we've had so far this D minor but then it upsets that by going to the chord that's chromatically just a half step lower now why is that why could they have done such a thing well first of all as I said it's to upset expectations but secondly it'll be really important to come back to the chorus by this way so there's a few things about the instrumentation that changes here. Could you tell what they are? I think it's mostly in the percussion that there's changes happening here. It's mostly just the drums changing from ride simple down to a snare drum just going just laying down a bit of a groove and then a tambourine going one. Now let's talk about these chord changes that are happening here. I'll give you a minute to think through them and process them. To start out, it's a bit of a tonic, dominant, tomic progression, which is fairly textbook. It just gets us from one place back to the same place. And then there's these three chords in quick succession that lead us up into the relative major of the minor one that we started in, this major three chord. Are you noticing anything familiar about these three chords? Well, it's the same three chords that was in the progression in the beginning of the song. It's one chord moving up a step to another, which then in turn moves up to another step, and it's a nice recall, I think. Then halfway through that last chord, there is an added note thrown in, That's the 7th above the root. Now, what does this do? To me, it makes things a little bit unstable, and it turns a formerly tonic chord into a dominant chord, which then resolves to not the tonic, but instead it resolves to the minor 2 of this new major that we're in. And the voice leading works out there as well. The two strongest are the third of the major one chord to the three of the minor two chord. And then the seventh of the major one chord falling down to the five of the minor two chord. And then this two sets us up nicely for a two, five, one progression, which is essentially just a series of dominant tonic. But then once you get through the first dominant and tonic, that tonic immediately becomes a dominant, which then resolves to a tonic. This happens again using the same chords, but it's set up by a major four that's thrown in there. And then after it happens again, another two five one happens again. But this time it's resolving back to the key that we originally started this whole song in. Which, in this case, it's D minor. That is so clever. So, just by working around the circle of fifths, he's taken us from a chord that was completely out of left field and returned us back to where we started to. I'm not going to take much time to try and analyze the melody happening here because it's a different melody than in the Derek and the Dominoes version. And that's mostly down to... Eric Clapton's singing voice changing over time, and he can't sing as high as he used to, so he's embellishing the melody to make it so that he can actually sing it and still make it be interesting. But instead, I want to talk about the melody as starts in 0 minutes and 53 seconds, and ends in 1 minute and 13 seconds. Now, I've talked before about melody form as analyzed by 20th century writers. And the method that they use is that for similar things that come up in the melody, they give the same letter to it. So the first main thing would be an A, the next thing would be a B, and so on. So given that, I want you to try and analyze this melody that's happening here under those terms. The thing that I came up with was AAB, because it starts out with, Leila, you got me on my knees. That's two falling things there. And that's one A section. And then it goes to, Layla, begging darling, please. Same notes, just with different lyrics. So it could be, also be considered A. And then, Layla, darling, won't you ease my worried mind? That's another thing entirely. So that would be a B. So now that's all I want to talk about this particular recording of Layla. Because that gets to the meat of the track. But now I want to talk about everything else that needs to be talked about. So let's switch over to Layla as recorded by Derek and the Dominos. And we'll start with literally just the first second. Now, you may have noticed that this is in a very slightly different key. It's very close to the key that we were in, but it's not quite. To me, the most likely explanation is that they made it slightly sharper in post-production because they wanted it to be a little bit faster, but at the same time, they needed to speed up the track, and by doing that... They necessarily needed to change the pitch, just like a record player slowing down or speeding up would need to do. And I think we could safely rule out that this was the result of their instruments being tuned sharper, because they were also working with instruments that would have been tuned to the same tuning that the unplugged version was following. So there is now only one logical conclusion, that they listened to that tape and they said, we want that speeded up just a tiny bit. And so they did it. By the way, could you tell that I'm now recording on a different day? It's about a month in the future. And if I may go on a extremely diverging tangent, but it's not all uncommon for American TV to do what I just did there to slip in a different day's recording audio. That's what's called in the business ADR, or automated dialogue replacement, and American... TV has no qualms about just slipping it in, regardless of whether or not it sounds right. And somehow we as Americans have just accepted it. So next time you're watching anything that would be performed as live action, try to listen out for it. It'll be really annoying once you notice it. And now you can't unhear it. ha. Wait, where were we? Oh, right, we were on Layla. If you've forgotten where we were, we're in the first couple of seconds, and I want to take a listen to that one opening guitar riff. Now, you may have noticed that it's slightly different than the version that was heard in Layla Unplugged. Now, I want you to consider for a hot second why they would have done that for Layla Unplugged, because remember, Layla Unplugged came out in 2000-something, and uh, the Derek and the Dominoes thing came out in early 70s. So why would they have changed it for the unplugged version. Well, to me, it's because the rhythms didn't match up quite right. The version by Derek and the Dominoes has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven notes, whereas the version in Layla Unplugged has one, two, three, four, five, six notes. This circumstance, I think would be best illustrated by clapping along to it, just to identify where the beats are. So do this with me right now. I'm going to count you in, and I want you to sing the Derek and the Dominoes version of this. One, two, three, da da, da 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 da. You'll notice a couple of things about that. The first is that it doesn't start on a clap. It starts halfway between claps. that's what we call on the offbeat. And it ends on a clap on the downbeat. But then try porting that over to the feel of the unplugged version. One and a, two and a, three, da, da 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 You'll notice this time that it started between claps, but it also ended between claps. And that just isn't going to work out so well in the long run. So what Eric Clapton did for his unplugged version, he just cut out a note so that it could start on the offbeat and then land on the downbeat. So if we try clapping along in rhythm to the unplugged version's whole thing... One and a two and a three ba-da-da-da-da-da. Starts on the offbeat, lands on the upbeat. Just like in the original version. Now, obviously this opening track is distorted to hell, but you may be wondering, what does it actually mean to be distorted? Well, quite simply, it means overloading the systems through which you're routing the sound. The thing is, if you have something that's vibrating, Generally, it can only go so far one way or the other, and remember, it's vibrating, it's physically moving. There's only so far that it can go before it can't go any further, and that's what distortion basically is. It's stretching out the things that actually vibrate, in this case, by sending a large electrical signal, by amplifying it to hell, you can essentially warp the resonator, the thing that's actually producing the sound so much that it's barely a semblance of what it was before. Another question I'm going to ask here is, are there one guitar or are there two guitars? I'm pretty sure that you know that there are guitars, but are there one or are there two? Well, personally, I'm hearing two, and I can tell that because the two lines, they're stacked in octaves, but at the same time, They're not quite in sync with each other, especially in the tuning. Give it another listen, and if you notice for that, you're going to hear it this time. So the next thing that comes in literally a second after this whole thing starts is another guitar line underneath, also distorted, but also echoing that rhythm guitar that Eric Clapton was doing on the unplugged version. And once again, it is changing up the rhythm a little bit so that it fits in with the meter, in this case. Where the unplugged version is swung, meaning that the rhythm is asymmetrical. The first half of the beat is longer than the second half. Everything is straight here, so everything is equally in time with each other. Well, as much as humans can make it. And the basic functions are the same. But there's a few other things thrown in for good measure. So after that, da da da, da where the Clapton version would keep going, da-da, this version goes, da-da-da. And one of the neat things about this is that everything still wants to resolve the same way. Granted, the three notes that should define the chord aren't there, but if we extrapolate thirds, from the roots of this, the da and the ba still have the same thirds over top. What's cool about this is that all the voice leading that we talked about in the unplugged version still applies here. Because it's pretty much all the same notes. So the this wants to go to here and this wants to go to here and this wants to go to here. And you can do the same things with the next chord, because, like I said before, it's just shifting the whole thing up. Now we move on to the section from 0 minutes and 8 seconds to 0 minutes and 24 seconds. And I'm not gonna lie, this is a particularly dense section, and I can't even tell where all the elements are. It's still taking me time to figure this stuff out. And the thing is, if you dig into the research, Eric Clapton and his bandmates wanted it that way. There were so many overdubs that were done on this that sometimes the original guitar tracks get buried. It's a lot of the same type of thing that Phil Spector did in the 60s and that Jacob Collier sometimes does now. But now the question is why? Why would Derek and the Dominoes want to do it like this? To me, I think it's because they wanted to make a thick sound and that thick with three extra Cs. Well, because distorted guitar in of itself is a pretty thick sound. It's got a lot of overtones to it, and they're doing some pretty nasty stuff. So just adding more layers on top of it is just the icing on top of the cake in this song. So if you've listened to our episodes before, you're pretty sure what I'm going to ask you. But for those just tuning in, try to figure out what elements are being added here. And it would be especially helpful if you're listening with a good pair of headphones and you're not... Listening to a mono version, you're listening to it in stereo. Well, to start right in the center channel, the drums are doing pretty simple stuff in terms of rock drumming. The bass is doing boom, boom, the snare is doing, tch, tch, and the ride cymbals just going ham, going ding 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 ding. Altogether, that sounds like And one of the things that you'll notice is that the sound of the drums, what I just did there, doesn't really match up well. You may notice that the snare is a little bit more dead in the recorded version than what I just played there. And I think that's a very important distinction because the type of drums that you use can affect whether or not they're the main focus of the thing, like in a lot of metal music, or if it's more towards the background. In this case, The fact that it's a little bit more deadened in the recorded version makes me think that they wanted to focus on other things. Then why don't we focus on those other things real quick? There's the standard tambourine thing of going and so on. Notably, I think they're the only people doing that rhythm, which is interesting to me because nowhere else does it need to happen, but they threw it in anyway. I think it's just because they wanted a little bit more rhythm. And next, I know that there's a bass just in this band. I know this much. But I can't hear it for the life of me. And I know it's buried somewhere in there, but it's ridiculous to try and find it. It's just buried underneath the power cords that are hiding it up. Before we get into more interesting guitar parts, I want to highlight one of these guitar parts that's in the left channel that you might hear. It's not quite the same as the rest of the other guitar parts. So give it another listen, see what you come back with. So crucially, none of the other instruments are actually playing the third of any of these chords. They're just playing the one and the five. But this is the only instrument I think that is actually playing the third of the chord to solidify what mode we're actually in, that being whether we're major or minor. In this case, we know that it's minor and we know that because there's this guitar part that goes da 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 or something like that the last few notes get muzzled and the rhythm guitar part before still goes dun da dun da 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 and then there's there's five added notes to what the lead guitar part is doing to me it's a pretty cool line because it goes Da 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 and the notes da, da, da outline a major triad which resolves to the one chord as it does in the rhythm guitar part. And I think it's really neat that those three notes in the melody do the same thing that the chord progression has been doing this whole time, and it can do it still independently of the chords that are underneath. But as you take it into the context, those first two notes have a bit of a different connotation to them as they're placed over a flat six chord. So in this case, it operates a little bit more like an appoggiatura where it starts on one note and then after it leaps up to another note, it comes down to between those two notes. And the starting and ending notes are the anchors ...to the keys that were in both the first chord and the second chord. But the middle note sets up the chord that's going to come next. And I think that's really cool. And then a few seconds later, it gets to this... ...and those notes are straining a little bit more. And that highest note, that apex, also adds another third on top of the chord that's underneath it. And that crunch that happens there, it's all the more satisfying when it resolves back to the tonic. Which makes it all the more interesting that when it finally resolves, it goes not fully up to the tonic, but like happened before, goes one half step flatter than the tonic. And that brings us squarely into the section from zero minutes and 24 seconds through zero minutes and 40 seconds. And while you're pulling that up, please take some time to analyze the elements of this section. To begin, the drums are a little bit more stripped back. The tambourine is gone. And the right cymbal has been replaced by hi-hat. It's keeping mostly closed and short, except for at the end of every 2 far bar phrase is going, to me, that just accents the end of the phrase. Nothing really much more than that. And this time around, I can actually hear what the bass is doing because everything else has stripped away a little bit more. But it's not doing much more than holding down the root and occasionally doing some cool fills like at the end there. A little bit more interesting than that in the grand scheme of things is that the rhythm guitar is kind of imitating a four on the floor. And for those of you who don't know, it's when a drummer kind of just uses the lowest set of drums on the downbeat, so it just go And to me, I think it grounds this section a little bit better in the beat. And then there's all these guitars that are just going ham, so I'm not going to spend too much time talking about them other than just know that they're mostly keeping within the chordal center. The main thing I want to focus on is the melody that's going on here. I want you to take a few seconds to try and figure out what's going on here in terms of the melody and figure out how it's moving and why is it moving in the ways that it is. To me, the main thing that stands out to me, especially in the beginning section of this, is that it's holding mostly to one note. This ba. And what I really like about it is that it happens in the main three chords of the start of this piece. So if you start on the root, then this becomes the fifth. And then if you go to the dominant, then this becomes the root of the chord. Here's the crucial thing. You don't want to hold on to one note forever. Otherwise, it just gets monotone and boring. So what they do is they go down a third on occasion. So, what do you do when you get lonely? Turns into, what do you do when you get lonely? And I think there's that really nice little lonely that is the way that people would speak almost, lonely. And it doesn't work quite the same if you have the same emphasis on each syllable, and that's the same thing that happens in "When nobody's waiting by your side," because people, at least in English, tend to fall down at the end of their sentences. So "nobody's waiting by your side," that "side" at the end is reflected in the way that the vocal line is portrayed. And I think that's cool, and then onto this: "You've been running and hiding." And that's a really common melodic thing that's done with this four-five-one progression. And then it comes back down with this da-da-da-da-da-da. Except for it's not quite the same as that. So given those four notes entirely out of context, da-da-da-da, it's a good way to recapitulate with the notes that we've already been given and also land on a new note to solidify that we're also going to a new chord. But at the same time, they vary it up by instead of da 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 going da 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 to make it a little flourish at the end instead of having it linger on for too long. And also to have a little bit of a suspension on that passing note, which in any other context would be Something you wouldn't want to land particularly on, but in this case, since it does go back to a note of the chord, it works out in the end. And those last three notes are brought back in this final phrase da 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 with da 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 marking out a part of the chord that we were in before, and then da da ba that note being a leading tone in the five chord that wants to resolve back down to da da da, which is the root of the final chord that we end the verse on. And breathe. As we move on to this section from zero minutes and 40 seconds to zero minutes and 57 seconds all the instruments of the refrain come back as they were in the beginning in much the same way. The only thing that we really add on top of it is the vocal line and I think that this one really reflects how people talk very well. First you start with this Layla and now if you were to speak the word Layla, and actually, please do that. Even if you're on a bus somewhere, just say it out loud, even if it's a little bit under your breath, you'll notice that there's a little bit more emphasis on the Lay than the, the La, and that's with a lot of English names, and that's reflected in the way that the vocal line works. So you got this Lay that is the highest note there, and so it also is the emphasis in speech patterns of the syllable patterns. And then also the la is an unaccented syllable. And so it has this la that's almost an after effect, but also brings us into the tonic. The same thing can be said for you got me on my knees. And by the way, I just said it, you'll notice that I changed pitch in almost the same way that the vocal line does except for, you know, they start on a note that's actually in a singing range instead of a speaking range. And again, with I'm begging, darling, please, although notably this time, instead of I'm begging, darling, please, and rising up to that, it's going I'm begging, darling, please. Just to add a little bit of variety and to actually land somewhere for once. And this is broken up on the last one by Darling, won't you ease my worried mind? And this time So clever, I just figured this out It starts out with this Da-da-da-da-da That's Also the notes of You got me on my knees And then on My worried mind Which is also the notes to Begging, darling, please On a side note, there's this TikTok channel run by this guy named Brett Bowles, who has a series called The MT, where he spills the tea, in quotes, on why certain musical theater songs work so well from a songwriter's perspective. You can tell that I've watched a lot of these because those are the words that he uses in every episode, and he does all of these sorts of melodic connections to things, and like he gets so excited about them, and that's the way that I'm feeling right now. It's so cool. I aspire to be Brett Bull someday. And then to top off all of this melodic excellence, it goes from my Not those notes, but well, here's the thing. If you remove that, it kind of flatlines. So if you keep on adding this mind, it keeps the energy going as we go into the next verse. And I'm not going to go too much into the next verses or the next few choruses as they're sung. Because all the melodic content is still the same. It's just the lyrics are changing. They're really good lyrics anyways. But this isn't necessarily show about lyrics because any poetry class can go through lyrics like they do any other poetry. Before we wrap things up, there's a few things that I want to mention about the very last bit of the first half of the track, and that is how the guitars go AWOL in the last section. I'm not going to spend too much time in it, other than you may notice that the transition between notes on the lead guitar parts aren't necessarily that clean. I think it's maybe because they're doing some sort of slide technique on it. One of the ways that you can do it is by literally getting the bottleneck of a wine bot not a wine bottle, a beer bottle, and using that on the strings instead of using your fingers on frets. And lastly, somewhere in the middle of all of that chaos at the end of that part is some guy going, woo, 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 woo. I think it just adds to the energy that is going on there. And so now we have covered everything that I think I want to talk about in this A section. There's probably more stuff that you can pick out that I'm not going to. But as a homework assignment, both because I'm too tired to actually continuing on with this. And also because I want to give you the opportunity to do it. I want you to do the same thing that we did for the first half on the second half. And see where that gets you. And also remember to run through the entire first half of the track to see what you've picked up on now that we've had this discussion. And now for a few last-minute things that I want to plug. Firstly, I am releasing an album sometime within the next few months. There is a GoFundMe that I will link in the description. So if you want to help me make my own music, you can help donate to that. And secondly, we have an email that you can send things into if there's something or someone that you want us to talk about you could drop us a line at that email it's deconstruct at wicb.org and there will be that in the description as well and so this is where i'll leave you my name is ben and i'll see you next time take care I couldn't be bothered with a proper outro music, so this is all you're going to get. Sorry about that.